Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash, making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Welcome to Escaping Society. Uh, this is the first episode of Season 2. It's Episode 13, um, Dumpster Diving And. My name is Gumby. I'm Teresa. And let's see. Um, so, Teresa, I'd like to start with how we got into it. So, if you'd like to talk about how you first got into dumpster diving. <laughs> Before I met Gumby, I didn't really dumpster dive a lot, but I was known for pilfering things from work, whether it was in a conference room after a meeting or even going into people's offices. And if they had a, uh, a closed like plastic clamshell thing for, from lunch and they still had some good looking food in it, I might take that. And I was known for that and, uh, I'm proud of that. So it wasn't much of a stretch, uh, to start poking my head into dumpsters and checking out, wow, there is actually some really viable, good-looking food that's being thrown away. And that's about the extent of my story. Yeah, and I remember being into scavenging when I was a kid. I'd walk around the neighborhood, and I had a lot of freedom when I was a kid. Um, Back in the 80s, you know, my mom would just say, be home by dark, and pretty much that was the only boundary I had. So I'd see these piles of trash set out. I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina, in kind of a a rural, no, I guess that would be urban, urban part of it, kind of near the city. And um, there'd be piles of stuff, and I'd go through it and find really neat stuff. One time I found this baby doll that was, like, bigger than me that I dragged home. I just thought it was cool to see a toy that was bigger than me. Um, And my dad did a lot of scavenging. He would go to the dump and find stuff, so I just kind of grew up... uh, thinking that, you know, trash was not just something to be discarded, but could be really interesting and useful. And when I got to be a teenager, I was really getting into the idea of being a hobo. So the idea of, like, using dumpsters as a resource was something I became more interested in. One of my friends worked at a grocery store, and he'd bring home bags of donuts that they'd thrown away. So we were all smoking weed and, you know, had the munchies and donuts. We're like, wow, look at these endless donuts we can (laughs) munch out on. Um... So I'd occasionally check back then and, you know, go behind fast food restaurants. I remember finding burgers that were cold, not very tasty. But still, the idea that there's that much food that could be had was really fascinating to me. And then a little later on in life, after I'd done some hoboing, I started realizing more how much food could be found. Like not just, you know, little old burgers and donuts, but actually food food. (laughs) So... That was my next, I guess, chapter, my next level of getting into dumpster diving. Um, And I'd say the final 
Well, no, no, there's another chapter in there. I started doing survival overnights, wilderness survival, and the only caveat I'd put on it is we couldn't steal and we couldn't buy anything. I didn't want to pretend like we were, you know, living 300 years ago. I wanted to survive on the land as it is now. So if you found something, you could scavenge it if it was in the woods. Um, and <laughs> we started being within walking distance of grocery stores sometimes during our survival overnights. So I'd figure, well, I'm not stealing, I'm not buying, why not peek in the dumpster? This is what the land is offering at this place. And uh, so more so I realized how much food is actually in there. And then finally I started having social anxiety at one point in my life. Um, crippling social anxiety. I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't make money. And even if I had the money, I couldn't handle the grocery store. I'd stand in line and it would just well up. I'd feel like I was going to pass out or throw up. Um, I remember a couple of times just setting groceries down right there on the floor, like, and just leaving. Um, and that's when dumpster diving became a survival tool for me. So need forced me into a new level of it. So that's when I got really serious about it and learned like how very, very much I could have, that I could eat healthy, that I could be picky, that there is food waste everywhere. So, yeah, that's kind of the story of what got me here. Yeah, and um, I guess I, I didn't mention that I used to work at a grocery store and I worked specifically in the produce department. So when I met Gumby and he was saying, you know, like he found food in the dumpsters. I wasn't even thinking about what fresh food there might be as far as fruits, vegetables. Um, I was just thinking like, yeah, you might get like some packaged up stuff. But what we found in the dumpsters over the past couple years that we've been together is not trash. And I think people get an image of dumpster diving as either a comical like jumping into a dumpster as if you were diving into a swimming pool and also uh getting an image of people eating like half-eaten sandwiches or like you know pulling some produce out that might have maggots in it and you're just like brushing it off and saying it's still good that's not what we're finding um I think almost I would say 99% of the time the food that we get is right on top of the bagged garbage and it is typically either in a package or for the produce it appears that and I like I said I used to work in the produce department so I know the drill it appears that they would uh, the produce worker would put the produce in a box let's say that was like the old stuff the stuff that's on the shelf and then put the new stuff and then just realize for whatever reason like I don't want to put this old stuff on top I just want the new stuff to be there. So they would throw out boxes of like Roma tomatoes or whatever, like carrots and a mixture of like squash and all this stuff. I mean, it's like actually a stir fry in a box. So we're not talking about nasty food that is like sitting in gross dumpster water at the bottom of the dumpster. We're talking about stuff that really hasn't even touched anything worse than a, a plastic trash bag. And we'll talk a little bit more later about how we process the food that we get out of the dumpster. But I think that what we consider trash, it, that, that we think is being thrown into the dumpster, is not trash at all. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, and we even say it in our theme song, we eat from the trash. Um, so <laughs> kind of jokingly. But to me, the real point is that it's not that we're eating trash. 
The point is that it's not trash in the first place. There's stuff that goes in there that is not trash. That's why we eat it. So it's not like, you know, a lot of people that have not tried this have this image, as Teresa was saying, of like, you know, these people that are living like possums eating horrible stuff. No, there's stuff in there that is not trash. And, uh, you know, I think of it as the modern alchemy. Like in the old days, you know, the, the big thing was turning lead into gold. Nowadays, people think this magical thing happens. You can take a perfectly good piece of food, and as soon as it passes through this magical metal door of this mystical dumpster, it becomes this <laughs> whole other substance called trash, and it's abhorrent. It's disgusting. And, uh, you know, we, we know better. So it, it becomes a huge resource, a huge uh, strength for us, because we don't buy into that... Um, insanity, that, that weird paradigm of this alchemy that food suddenly, you know, boom, becomes trash when it goes in the dumpster. Um, so the argument against dumpster diving, I guess there's a few. I, I've One of the first ones I ran into was that it's very dangerous, that there's a lot of uh, bacteria and stuff in there that can kill you, and I'm not saying there's not. Um, and every now and then you confront somebody, there's an employee or somebody, and you know, most of the time I just politely leave. We'll talk more about that. But every now and then I get kind of confrontational. I'm sick of the the bullshit. I'm sick of the, <laughs> the unexamined things people say, the ignorance. So I challenge somebody. I say, so why are you protecting your trash? The argument that comes out the most is that they are liable if we get sick, that it's dangerous. So they kind of take this posture of we don't want you to get sick because we care. And then in addition to that, even if we didn't care and you got sick, we'd get in trouble. These are both blatant lies. And this, this is ignorance that these people are embracing. Um, there's this thing called the Good Samaritan Law that Bill Clinton apparently signed into existence. I just found out he did, but I was... Uh, aware of the Good Samaritan Law from a while back. And this protects anybody that wants to give away food. A, a grocery store could actually hand you, if they were on the way to the dumpster, they saw you, they could hand you the food, and if you got sick, they would not be liable for it. They are protected by the law, this Good Samaritan Law. Um, but even with that signed into existence, people seem extremely content to ignore it, remain ignorant of it, and even when you try to educate them, on it. They don't want to be educated. Um, so yeah, that's a, a puzzling thing that we'll talk more about in this podcast of why someone would want to protect their trash in the first place. Um, our experience as far as the dangers of dumpster diving, you know, I know the bad smells in a dumpster, so I believe there are bacteria in there. You know, it only makes sense. I'd be as shocked as anybody to find out that a dumpster is clean. I, I don't believe it. But my experience after dumpster diving for years and years and years and knowing several other people who do is I don't know anybody who's gotten sick from doing this. Um, one time Teresa ate some cottage cheese that was a little on the pink side, so she broke one of our rules. We'll talk more about when in doubt, throw it out. Um, and she felt like she got a little sick one day. Still not sure if that was the cause, but it could have been. But aside from that, I don't know one person who's gotten sick with this. Now, I know that a lot, I know a lot of people who have gone to restaurants and gotten food poisoning. So if these managers, if their argument held any weight, they'd be in front of the, the restaurants if it was for the good of humanity and stopping people from going in there, like people get food poisoning in these restaurants. But because money is being made, nobody's doing that. 
So there's something else going on that they don't really want to look too closely at, why they're protecting the trash. And it's not about food poisoning. It's not about people getting sick. Um, I think it's about greed. Uh, Daniel Quinn, he's an author I talk about often. He talks about our culture, and he says one of the marks of our culture is we live in a culture where we put the food under lock and key. And he says that's a unique thing about our culture, a culture that has now covered the globe. He said if you go into any other tribe, any other culture, and we've wiped so many of them off the face of the earth and marginalized the few that are, are remaining intact, um, you don't find that. Food is not under lock and key. Food is something that's free. It's a given. It's not something you have to earn. And uh, Quinn says it's the cornerstone of our economy. It's what keeps society running. Lock up the food. Consider it like a treasure, something that you are not entitled to. You have to work. You have to perform a duty to keep society running to earn this food. And Quinn asked the question, if food was not under lock and key, who would work? And it's a good question. Uh, we started finding a way to find food that's not under lock and key, and indeed we're not working. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of reality to that. Um I've got a friend who used to attend survival overnights, and she's a food scientist. She's one of the people that puts expiration dates on food. Um, and I had a lot of theories about that expiration date, about how dependable it was, how believable it was. And she's one of the people that confirmed for me that we're just picking a number. You know, this is part of a marketing thing. It's part of a, the number has more to do with the capitalism, the marketing, like turning things over removing products so new products can come in than any actual, like, solid facts. Foods don't blow up the day after their expiration date. <laughs> I was already kind of on that line of thinking because I was thinking about the food in the fridge. You know, not many people look at the expiration date. Unless you smell something bad, then maybe you double-check. But you tend to check the food. You smell it. Um, if it still seems good, probably is good. So, yeah, that really helped reinforce the way I think about things. Yeah, I mean, there are some people out there that might be, you know, absolute germaphobes, and maybe they do throw stuff out without giving it the old sniff test. But I personally think that, um, I, <laughs> I personally think that, yeah, the expiration dates are pretty um, fluid, if if at all believable. So, what do companies do? when they're throwing out perfectly good food that maybe has an expiration date, but it's still good. We've found that they not only throw it out, that we can deal with. Many companies actually will, they will slash the products open so you can't eat them anymore because then they've been exposed to all manners of germs and bugs. Um, they'll pour bleach on the food or bleach and cat litter to supposedly, you know, keep the the insects and everything down in the dumpster, but also to keep the dumpster divers away. Um, food, uh, food aside, there are other products uh, that companies throw out that, for example, um, we saw shoes in the dumpster, and they were perfectly brand new good shoes, except some employee had been instructed, I'm sure, to slash the sides of the shoes so that they couldn't be used by anyone. Um, they also spray orange paint on a lot of things, whether it's camp chairs or cooking utensils or anything that's not food, you might find orange paint on it. And if you just 
take a moment to, you know, take it home or wherever you're at, rinse it off. It's perfectly fine. I use a cup that has orange paint still on it. It kind of reminds me of that day. Um, and then the dumpsters themselves. So a lot of companies have put locks on their dumpsters. And of course, I mean, if it's garbage, what, why are you protecting it so much? Like you're actually locking up your trash. And if they don't have dumpsters, they have these trash compactors that make all of whatever they're throwing out unusable really for anyone, um, except the landfill, which is going to just keep piling up garbage upon garbage and, and polluting the earth. So all of these things lead to the quiet war that industry is having um, with people who are just trying to pick up the scraps, really. Yeah, and what a bizarre war, you know, when you start dumpster diving, and we call it a, I call it a quiet war because nobody really talks about it. Nobody really even knows about it unless you're a dumpster diver. And you start dumpster diving, and you run into all these things, these locks and these ways to, to circumvent the scavengers. To what purpose? I mean, I guess they're thinking that, the only thing I can think of, I can think of two reasons. One, they're thinking if you can't get the food for free, you're going to have to go back into buying it. Maybe. There are food pantries out there. So I guess if you are that greedy, that hungry for every buck you can shake out of every person, which I guess that's the way all those corporations work, um, that's one line of reasoning for protecting your trash. The other, I think, is to hide it. It's embarrassing to these stores. It doesn't make them look good when they've got a little feed-the-hungry box, you know, in the front of their store with two beat-up cans of green beans and people are seeing, like, a dumpster half full of delicious, good food in the dumpster. It is illogical, and they want to hide that part of what makes the business run. Um, dumpster diving, I recognize, as a temporary phenomenon. Like, this war, the scavengers, we're not going to win it. Either way, we're not going to win it. If society keeps going, they're getting better and better with their compactors, with their locks, at keeping dumpster divers out. Um, if society falls, of course, there goes the cow. The milk dries up. There's the scavenging's going to be. Everybody's going to be fighting over the the scraps now. Um, so either way, dumpster diving is a temporary thing. I look at the people that are dumpster driving now as jumping on this resource that's going to dry up. Um, and I often wonder what our lives are going to look like when dumpster diving is no longer an option. But as long as it is, we're going to benefit as much as we can because it's it is a huge resource, and I feel really good of what it enables me to do. Dumpster diving empowers pretty much everything else I do. Boycotting society, I don't have to put my money into things that I don't believe in. Getting my time back, that I can put my energy into things that matter to me, like making these podcasts, like reading books on things I want to educate myself on more. Um, it's all fueled by dumpster diving. It's all fueled by scavenging. And... You know, when I think about why, what incentive to protect your trash, to be proprietary of your trash. We've even been accused of stealing when we take people's trash. <laughs> and the illogic of that, you know, I can't believe it when people say things like that. I'm like, I thought it was in the trash because you didn't want it. <laughs> I can't think of anything more simply logical than that. Why would you be so greedy 
that you don't want me to have something that you've already decided you don't want. The only way it makes sense is if you're a capitalist. Capitalism is the idea that everything equates to money. Money is the only thing or the primary thing that matters. You might care about your family, but even that goes back to money. How do you take care of your family? Money. What's the best private school you can send your kids to? Money. How much crap can you give your family? Money. So if everything looks like money to you, then it justifies anything you will do to this, these, what was, what was that word that was in that book that we were, it was, uh, oh crap, it'll come back to me later. <laughs> but there's this book I want to talk about later in the podcast and they, they don't call it trash. It's, uh, oh. yeah, you know what I'm trying yeah. to think of, but these are goods, products that are still useful. They've just, they're not being marketed anymore and they wind up in the dumpster. Um, when you think about a society that we're upset about resources being used up, that we claim to care about the earth, um, why? how would somebody justify ruining perfectly good food when there's hungry people and pouring bleach on it? How do you take a product that it took a factory to make, that it took human resources, earth's resources to make this product, it's perfectly good, and then people slash it? Or spray orange paint on it. Only when the only thing you're thinking about is money does that have any sanity. And I use the word sanity very loosely. <laughs> if you start having priorities other than the making of money, if you think there might be something else important other than the making of money, this is the most abhorrent behavior imaginable. That you would take perfectly good things when there are people in need and they're in the dumpster because you can't even make money off of them anymore. You have decided you can't make money off of this. That's why it's in your trash. And you still don't want people to have it. You're so scared somebody might take that, maybe try to return it, maybe get a little money, maybe run a scam. You're so frightened. You're so greedy that you might lose a little money somehow. You might lose a customer because they got something for free that you would rather people stay needy than have the stuff that you don't want anymore. You're not even trying to use to enable your own livelihood. And that is disgusting. That's why I call it a war. It's not just a difference of opinion. This is a war. This is a disgusting thing when people are treating each other that way. Um, and this book that I was making reference to. Um, oh, and the word I was looking for, ex-commodities. Um, they don't call it trash. Yeah, <laughs> Teresa, uh, racked her brain and thought of this word. <laughs> but this book, it's my favorite book on giving me some of the answers of why things are getting thrown away, you know, why this is all happening. Because that's one of the first things when you start dumpster diving and you realize the scope of what you can find in the trash. It's like, how does this happen? Freegans Diving into the Wealth of Food Waste by Alex V. Barnard, B-A-R-N-A-R-D. Um, really gave me more answers, more lines of thought than any other book that I've read. Um, it really helped me wrap my mind around this this thing that's happening. Um, he talks, <clears throat> it's focused mainly on this group called freegan.org. And they were based in New York. I say were, I don't know if they're still a thing anymore. Um, but they started leading these trash tours. And the trash tours were basically telling people, meet us here on this night, and we're going to walk around New York City, and we'll show you how much trash there is. And by the way, you get to, you know, take free food, 
and go home um, and take it home. So the normal reaction, I think, when people start dumpster diving is, one, you kind of want to brag about it. You've got this huge resource, and you want to show people, look what I got. The other thing is alarm. You can't believe how much waste. You've heard it. You think you know, but then when you actually see it, when it's filling up your garage, perfectly good food, you're like, oh, my God, somebody's got to say something. People need to know. So you think you're going to shame the businesses into changing their behavior. But what these guys learned, they kept kept doing this, you know, showing people what's being wasted. The resources started drying up. The businesses didn't change their behavior. They started locking the dumpsters, Mm -hmm. compactors. They started hiding it. So you wonder why is it an ethical thing? Um, And I believe like deep down it does come back to an ethical dilemma. But it's also tied to the whole culture, the way we live, especially the capitalistic way to live. You can't get rid of the waste. Um, The Freegans in this Freegan.org, they started questioning, are these, these trash tours even a good idea? We're just losing our resources. Nothing seems to be changing for the better. And I think the businesses feel like they can't change things for the better. You can donate some things to the food pantry, but the amount of waste that's involved in keeping products on the shelf is staggering. One of the the big things I learned is if I'm a grocery store, let's say I'm Kroger's, you're a customer, I need to make sure that if you come in my store, that there are always every product you want on the shelf. If you come in looking for black beans one day, I'm out of black beans, maybe you go to Harris Teeter. I've lost a customer. And as a greedy corporate business in capitalist America, I don't want to lose a single customer. I want every single cent I can squeeze out of every single person. I can't let that happen. So I overorder. That's how I make sure that I will not run out of product. I order more than anybody's going to buy. Um, and when I have that in the, the, the store, you know, that creates an excess. Now I have to plan for next month. I have to order without knowing exactly how much stuff is going to leave the shelves. Um, so what do I do when this new excessive shipment comes in? i got to make space for it. Can't compete with this stuff with a slightly older expiration date. Goes in the trash. And a lot of these places won't even let their employees take it home. Um, this is common practice in a grocery store. They would rather throw it in the trash than give it to their own freaking employees. And the employees, being obedient and trained and conditioned like so many of us are, put up with this. It becomes normalized. It becomes, eh, yeah, I don't want to think about it too much. I just get my paycheck and free food goes in the dumpster. Um, And that's the other side of the war. Like for those of us who are just not going to put up with that anymore. Um, We care about our planet and we care about food, so we fight for it. Um, Can I add something to that? Yeah, of course. Um, When you were talking about the Freegans... When you were talking about the Freegans and uh, how in this book you read that they were vegan, right, at first. I was not talking about that, but that is another thing that I learned about in the book. Um, apparently, the <laughs> from what I heard, where Freegan came from was the same guy that created Food Not Bombs, which is an awesome group that dumpster dives and um, gives food away on the streets. You know, another subversive act. Go back to Quinn and the food under lock and key. Scavenging food is a very subversive act if you want to resist the the status quo, if you want to escape society. So this guy, he was a vegan, and they apparently went in a Whole Foods market with a bunch of anarchists, and they were eating the free samples, and they kicked them out. So they said, screw that, we'll go behind the store and, you know, go in the dumpster. 
So they're eating it, and they find this huge, big wheel of cheese. And one of them, according to the story, it's the guy that started Food Not Bombs. And I can't remember his name, but it's a pretty easy name to look up. It's a well-known name. Um, he's looking at this cheese, and he's thinking, well, I'm a vegan. I'm not supposed to eat this, but my God, I'm a vegan for ethical reasons. How can I justify just leaving this perfectly good food in the dumpster? So he starts eating the cheese, and you know, people are like, well, I, I thought you were a vegan. What are you doing eating that? And he said, you know what, like, let's be freegans. That's where the word came from, according to the story. Like, if I want to fight the system, if I'm a vegan, I'm still buying food that's packaged in plastic, that's shipped in trucks, um, that often have exploited workers that aren't being paid enough working on the farms to pick and process this food. My money still goes to things that I find deplorable. But if I take stuff right out of the trash, I'm not supporting anything I don't believe in. I'm actually saving food, whether it's cheese, whether it's anything. You know, my money doesn't go towards one more cow being killed or, for that matter, one more field being uh, totally destroyed so we can make another organic garden. You know, those were animals that were living there in the first place that were shared by all the creatures. Now we make a garden, even if it's organic, it tends to sway more towards human use. So his solution was freeganism. And that's where the word came from. Yeah, and um, before I met Gumby, I was a vegetarian for about seven years-ish. And um, one of the reasons that I remained a vegetarian was because I was just like, you know, it's horrible how they treat all these animals. But once I saw how much meat was being thrown away. Now, this I, I just, I cannot deal with. If you're going to take an animal's life to make it into food, I can't believe the person that would think it's okay to just throw the food out because maybe it reached its expiration date or maybe someone brought it back. They got the wrong cut of meat and you can't trust anyone in this world. So you have to just throw that piece of meat out because you wouldn't dare try to resell it. Um, I, I started eating meat. I, I was like, this is ridiculous. There's so much good food in the dumpster, whether you're free, uh, vegan, vegetarian. What do you mean you can't trust anyone in this world? Well, what I'm saying is the, the store, let's say a customer comes back and they have a, a piece of meat and they're like, I got the wrong thing. The store will refund or give the customer whatever they want to keep a customer. But the store is not putting that meat back on the shelf. They're throwing it out. Or they're putting it in a special place where it's not for resale. And by the way, you'll see a lot of those stickers in the dumpster as well. So um, why is there so much waste? I, I went off on a tangent there about being vegetarian, but I just couldn't deal with that. Uh, animals, whether it's egg or butter or cheese or meat, there's an animal somewhere that's giving its life so that we can have these products. And then we're just throwing them out. I think that's ridiculous. And I... I am taking a stand by eating those products that I find in the dumpster because I'm not supporting the industry, but I'm also honoring the animal's life by not looking at it as waste. So why is there so much waste? Well, Gumby talked a little bit about what stores do, but there's also these other little details that maybe if you haven't worked in a, a grocery store or something like that, or you haven't paid attention there are packages that are thrown out simply because maybe um, maybe the, the hole that it's being hung up by is 
is broken, so you can't hang it up anymore. So where does that packet of cheese go? In the dumpster. What if um, you have a coffee creamer that has a lid on it that's plastic and it cracked? That goes in the dumpster too. You can't possibly sell it for like 50 cents off. We just keep the good caps from the coffee creamer that aren't cracked. And when we find one in the dumpster that is cracked, we just switch out the caps. And I, I can't honestly believe people throw this stuff out. It's perfectly good food. Um, yeah, God, the produce that we find and the meat that we find is often still cold, sometimes even frozen. We've found ice cream in the dumpster that's still frozen. We've found cold beers in the dumpster. I mean, it is ridiculous. And Gumby, I don't know if you want to talk more about why there's so much waste. I'm sure you do, but well, there's one, so many reasons. Yeah, one one reason, big reason that I found is uh, um, if somebody has a crate of something, like say they've got, you know, they're loading it off the truck, they've got 12 jars of jelly, and anything happens. You know, they drop it, it one of them busted during transit. Because we're so money-focused, you know, if, if it was about quality, if it was about goods, if it was about caring about feeding people and about the grapes that went into the jelly and the craftsmanship of how the jelly was made, we'd take the time to rinse off the other 11 jars. But if one breaks, no, we don't do that. We just throw the whole thing away. There's I can't no tell time. you how many times. huh? There's no time. Yeah, and time is money. So no time to rinse that off. And besides, like, how good can you rinse it? Because if you rinse it and one broke, there's bound to be a little speck here and there on the jar. Or maybe the label got scratched a little bit. Now it can't compete with the other products because, you know, I don't want to just blame the stores. We consumers have a huge part in that because we're not going to buy that. You know, we're going to look at the jar of jelly that has a scratch and the jar of jelly that doesn't. What are you pointing at? I was raising my hand. You want to say something? After you. You don't have to raise your hand? <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, that's one of the reasons we find stuff that gets broken all the time. One thing's broken and the other 11 are fine because they can't, and because they can't compete with the, uh, the presentation of the new products, they wind up in the dumpster. So we get perfectly good stuff not even expired all the time. You know, I'm not even talking about the food that's like on its way out. Perfectly good stuff. That's another reason why food gets wasted. Okay, Teresa. Ah, something else that's a favorite of ours to find in the dumpster is eggs. Now, what Gumby just said about the, the crate of jelly or whatever, it's one breaks. You know when you go into a grocery store, well, I used to buy my eggs and look to see if all of them were okay. If one of them was cracked, I'd switch it out from another container. I'm just that way, I guess. So when the employee comes and they are taking the eggs off the shelf for whatever reason because one is cracked, they throw out the whole carton. They don't even try to make a whole carton of eggs that aren't cracked. They could just take the ones that aren't cracked and make another viable dozen of eggs to sell. But nope, no time, they get thrown out. So we will often find hundreds of eggs in the dumpster. And we'll talk a little bit more about recalls when you find a bunch of something in the dumpster a little bit later. But typically with eggs, it's because one egg broke in the dozen. And the same thing with produce. Gets a little bruised or, uh, you know, I don't know. I always think like I was about to say if it gets a little bruised, it winds up in the dumpster, which is true. 
but I'm shocked about how many perfectly good vegetables, like bananas. I see bananas that are in better shape than what they're selling in the store all the time. I don't know what the criteria is. Sometimes it's just a mystery. It's an answer that we can't answer. You know, we, we still, after all these years, see something every now and then and are like, why did this get thrown out? And it's just like, we'll never know. Back when I was working in the produce department, we would get a truck in and it was my job. This was back in the mid 90s. It was my job to take the produce that was sitting out in the store already, put it in a box. And then when the new stuff came in, put it on the bottom put the older stuff on top so that the customers would buy that first. But I think the practice now has changed to where you take the old stuff off and you put it in a box, you put the new stuff on display for the customers to buy, and then you take the box of the quote-unquote old stuff and you throw it in the dumpster. Because we've watched employees out the back door throw box upon box upon bag of produce right into the dumpster. Yeah, um, God, there was something else I was going to say to that. <laughs> slipped my mind. But anyway, to shift gears a little bit, um, you know, we're talking about just kind of the general dumpster diving, why it's there. Um, I'd like to start talking about some of the reasons why we dumpster dive, other than the ethical reasons of boycotting the system. Um, one is I find it allows me to be much more generous. Um, in a capitalist society, Everybody is taught to feel poor. Even the rich people feel like they're on the, the verge of poor, being poor. They make a little show of giving a donation here, a donation there, but never enough where it's really going to hurt them. You know, they still have too much of everything. Um, we see people asking for money, you know, and this happens to me too. We see people asking for money on the side of the road and we feel poor. It doesn't matter how much money we have in our savings account. We feel poor like, oh, I can't afford that. What if I get sick? What if my car breaks down? Can't do that. But when I start scavenging, when I've got this surplus of food, I am compelled to be generous. Um, one of the things that we started doing when we had a trailer and we really could stockpile food is every month we'd have what we called an antisocial social. We'd get a fire burning in the backyard and we'd invite people over and we'd try to share food and we'd lay out a tarp or a blanket and we would share, um, you know, all these like different things that aren't food. We, we had a swap blanket. You could bring in stuff if you wanted to and leave it there. You could pick up stuff. These never took off the way we wanted them to. We lived pretty far out in the country. Um, but God, we were just thinking, what a, that type of thing, what a great way to, to trade stuff, to move some of the stuff that is just going to waste, you know, and we want to share it. I don't have to feel miserly about stuff. I know that more food is coming for free. I don't have to worry about the rainy day. Um, when I'm scavenging. So I love the generosity. We'd also make little food boxes sometimes with some of our surplus. We'd set it in a park. Um, <laughs> I remember one time we set it at a rest stop on our way to the mountains, and we had some dumpster-dived wine with us, and we turned it into a drinking game. We just sat there in our <laughs> in our vehicle, um, and we would take a drink anytime somebody took something from the box. And it was hilarious watching how many people would try not to look at the box. Um, not make eye contact with the box. And then other people would, you know, kind of sort through it. And then now and then there'd be somebody that you could tell they were a scavenger. They would go through <laughs> it and just like, they were oblivious to, oblivious to everybody. They didn't like care what people thought. They just started taking stuff out, found stuff they liked, left with it. Walking away with armfuls of uh, mini-sized candy bars. Yeah, so I highly recommend the uh, the drinking game. <laughs> um, 
we didn't drink a lot of wine that day, I gotta say, because people are, are scared of something free. We're taught you gotta pay for something. If it's free, oh my God, this must be a psychopath. It's probably injected with arsenic. <laughs> you know, this is the new terrorist tactic, boxes of free food. Um, <sighs> and little food pantries. You can find these in front of churches and sometimes just at random places in the neighborhood. You can Google where they are, but uh, <laughs> almost everyone we've been to, there's not much food in there. And we stockpile it. And then we'll go later to try to add food. There's no room. Nobody's taking our food. <laughs> So I'm not sure how to connect the hungry people to the resources because even homeless people, as we found out ourselves through our own experience, can can go to the library if they don't have another com uh, a computer themselves and Google free food boxes and find the food. But for some reason, it's not happening. Um, so even when your intent is to be generous, it can be tricky. But for, with that said, I have seen myself like leaving food in parks people tend to pick it up. Somebody's going to get that and appreciate it. Um, and I feel like it's just kind of the, the good energy, the good karma of at least trying to share things. And then there are things that uh, kind of lend themselves to maybe not being left somewhere. So, for example, one evening we were driving our regular dumpster route and I spotted a number of small boxes next to the dumpster on the ground, outside of the dumpster. And this dumpster, we normally just kind of find random stuff. But that night, we found hundreds and hundreds of bottles of e-vape oil stuff for, like, the e-vape stuff. I don't know anything about it, obviously. And we really didn't know anything about, like, the different percentages of tobacco and stuff. But we knew that this could potentially be something that we could sell. We didn't want to leave it in a park and have, like, little kids <laughs> coming up and, like, doing something you know it's kind of dangerous but um we actually had a friend of ours uh who had a, a connection with somebody who does the e-vape stuff and we made a hundred dollars off of selling these bottles of e-vape liquid another time gumby found a bunch of chocolate bars and it was getting to that point in the year where it's a little too hot to leave them out in the elements so we decided that we would sell them um, just putting putting an ad on like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. And he did this twice. I think the first time you made over $100. You talking about the candy bars? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these were like regular size Snicker bars, Twix, Reese's peanut butter cups, etc. Baby Ruth. And the second time it was right before Easter. And he made about 80 something dollars off of that one. And this guy came in like a BMW Roadster, really expensive car, but he saw the deal for like hundreds of regular size candy bars for whatever, 80 something bucks. And he jumped on that because he wanted his kids to have an awesome Easter egg hunt. So, um, yeah, there's, there is the potential to make money off of this stuff. Uh, we also have joined a Facebook page where, uh, locally we can swap stuff. And this page, you can either ask for a swap or you don't have to. So let's say we come into a bunch of eggs, which we do often, and we've got a bunch of eggs. We don't know if we could possibly eat them all or we want to eat them all. So we'll say we've got, you know, 15 dozen of eggs. Does anybody out there have a loaf of bread or something that we could trade? And people will come out of the woodwork like, yeah, I'll come. I'll, you know, deliver you coffee creamer, eggs or bread, I mean, for your eggs. 
And so we just swap without any money being exchanged. So those are some options if you're dumpster diving and you feel like that's something that you want to do. But, Gumby, you look like you're yeah, Well, it's hilarious. Like the, We're part of this Bull City swap thing that we don't get to use as much as we used to because we're not in the Bull City so much, Durham, North Carolina. But <laughs> the idea is you're swapping stuff. No money is exchanged, but then we'll have people like go to the store and buy oh, yeah. the stuff we're looking for, which drives me <laughs> nuts. It's like we're trying to boycott this consumerism, and some people just don't get it. It's like, a I don't know, a fetish or a game for them. I mean, we're looking for things that people aren't using. You know, that's the whole idea. And then people are like, oh, well, I'll buy you creamer. Like, I could buy my own damn creamer. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. But anyway, I just had to interject that. Yeah, so they're, they're good ideas, but put into practice, sometimes they get kind of um, messed up. And so we also talked about uh, or kind of alluded to there actually being legitimate concerns when you're dumpster diving. So I was talking about eggs a little bit ago and how... There was a an egg recall, I think, in 2018, um, and we happened to get a bunch of eggs from this one dumpster. Uh, I believe it was about 268 eggs we counted. None of them were broken. None of them made us sick. Um, when you come across something in the dumpster, it's it's a good practice to go to the FDA.gov web page and just see what's out there, especially if you see a bunch of one thing, for example, eggs or dog food or I don't know, like frozen meals or something. So um, definitely making sure that you check those food recalls and doing the sniff test and using your other senses, like looking to see if there's a streak of some pink thing growing in cottage cheese, um, that could get you sick. Um Gumby also mentioned about uh, containers breaking. So you have to be really careful that if you are getting something that's in a glass container or not in a glass container, maybe it's like produce, that you ro- that you wash it really well. Yeah, I did have a bottle of beer one time that something ended up rattling around in there, and I realized that a part of the glass had broken off inside the bottle. Now, that was one time out of years of doing that, but still, that could have been like my last time. So yeah. that is something to be careful of. Yeah, and so we're not trying to scare you away from dumpster diving. These are very, very um, isolated incidents. But you do have to be a little bit smarter than the average bear when you're taking food from a dumpster because you're not sure why it got thrown out. It might be that, you know, these crazy reasons that we talked about, it might be a legitimate reason that maybe the the case of beer dropped and they weren't sure if there were going to be glass shards in the beer. So that's why it went into the dumpster. Um, and then the final thing that I had listed for legitimate concerns with dumpster diving is health. And that could be from foodborne illnesses, but more often than not, it's the, it's the long-term effects. So what I mean by that is A lot of the food that we find in the dumpster isn't necessarily what I would have bought prior to dumpster diving. So the type of cheese or the type of snacks, um, especially things that are sugary, uh, sodas that we find, stuff like that, I wouldn't necessarily be buying that stuff because I know what it does to my health. Um, When you're a dumpster diver, it, it is tough to make 
good choices. Not because there isn't good food, but because there's just so much awesome stuff out there and you're like, man, I could really use some donuts or, oh, wouldn't it be nice to like get all of these sodas and we could just like have them every once in a while. So you got to really think about what you're doing when you take that food from the dumpster. Is it going to make your life better or are you going to get diabetes or cavities or something like that? Yeah, and I would say it's not so much different from your regular life. You can make healthy choices, but it is a huge temptation when you see a food like the sodas are a good example. And uh, it's something you wouldn't normally buy, but then you see like so much of it just sitting there for free. <laughs> I think it does kind of put it in a different light. Like the temptation is great, you know. Um, so, yeah, but if you have discipline, you can still eat very healthy with what you find in a dumpster. Yes. Another of my favorite things that happens with dumpster diving is this serendipity. This uh, There's something weird, like, I think in our <laughs> lives in general, like what we're taught to see is not reality. And every now and then it presents itself like coincidence, a strange thing where you say, what are the odds? But... I don't know what it is about dumpster diving, but it seems to come into sharper focus when you start dumpster diving. I've had so many times that, uh, like, for instance, I'll find, you know, I talked about the jelly, like 11 jars of jelly, one broke. And then the next day I find 11 jars of peanut butter, one broke. <laughs> I mean, just strange things. Or like I'll tell somebody, we'll be having a conversation, I'll say... I've never found rice in a dumpster. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but that would be awesome. And the very next day, I find rice in the dumpster. <laughs> this happens all the time, and anybody who's spent time around me has either dumpster-dived with me or seen consistently the stuff I bring has <laughs> seen this. It's not something that I'm imagining. Um, so there is a strange force at work. I don't think it's just dumpster-diving, but I don't know what it is, but it seems to be easier to see around the dumpster-diving. Um, we call it Oscar the Grouch. We say Oscar the Grouch is the patron saint of dumpster divers. <laughs> so we just thank Oscar. We're like, you know, kind of talk to Oscar like, okay, Oscar, we could use some cheese. And we find that Oscar has a definite kind of personality. Like, oh, something I see happen a lot is if I cave in and buy something, I'm like, oh, man, I really want this thing. You know, like, I'm just going to go ahead and buy it. I can't tell you how many times I've bought something, and the next day I find it in the dumpster. <laughs> like a lot of it. Yeah. I kind of feel like this force that we call Oscar is like kind of showing me, like, I had your back. All you got to do is be patient. Um, so, yeah, there's this weird force at work there. Um, we tried this uh, meetup group at one time. We called it, or I called it Wetico, a cannibal support group. And we wanted to introduce people to the idea of Wetico that, Instead of this idea of white privilege that kind of puts us on top, I'd rather look at our culture like diseased. I don't want to bring people into our privilege. I think we have a diseased. We need to be quarantined. We need to protect people from this thing we're miscalling privilege. We have Wetico. Um, and I don't want to get too much into that word right now. Look it up, and we've talked about it in other podcasts. So a cannibal support group. And for one of these Wetico meetings, we decided to scavenge Durham. We were going to meet whoever wanted to come along with us in a food line parking lot and just walk on foot um, for an hour around downtown Durham and create a list of everything we could get for free. This could include water from water fountains. It could include change we found, um, free samples in the grocery store, anything. We only had one person show up for that, but he's a pretty uh, diehard dumpster diver himself. Um, 
before then, and I think even more so now. So we walked around, and it was fascinating, the stuff we found on foot in one walk around Durham. I remember we found a dumpster full of dress shoes. Yeah, um, like formal wear. Yeah, formal wear, just unusual stuff. We found a bicycle that was just sitting in the woods. Perfectly good bicycle. Uh, leaning behind a store. What else did we find? We found uh, lumber that I ended up coming back with my car, oh, yeah. like really good boards um, that I used to help build a porch. Um, just fascinating when you start having that intent. Like, I'm going to look for all the resources, the free things. Just a random day, random place, you know, not even looking for the place that might have hot spots. It was incredible. Um, is there anything you want to add to that that I'm forgetting that we found that day? It was a pretty fruitful day. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to add from that day, but I will also mention that other people, like people other than businesses, use the dumpsters. And I'm not saying that that's legal, but often if a person's moving out of a place, they might be moving out in a hurry, uh, like they got evicted or something. And we'll find uh, people that have cleaned out their refrigerators and there's like a bunch of stuff that's still good. We'll find like a bunch of clothes or electronics. Um, yeah. And, uh, also this is interesting. Um, people get their cars broken into and we'll find like a suitcase or, uh, one time we found this guy's bag from the Marines and it had like his uniform in it with his last name on it and everything. And it had like all his, like, all his stuff. And you remember that time we found that dead body with the wallet still in it? <laughs> Stop. But, like, I I took the duffel bag from the Marines, you know, the, that guy's stuff back um, to a police station. I just kind of left it in front of the police station hoping that they could make a connection with a maybe a, a report of something being stolen. But, man, we find all sorts of stuff in the dumpster, like, not just food, not just things from the store, just randomly dumped there, so... Um, that can also be serendipitous, um, just, yeah, scavenging around town. Okay, so now we want to get into some nitty-gritty, like, helpful um, hints, tools, for if you are actually ready to go out and try this. Um, and when I say gritty, given the subject matter, I mean gritty. <laughs> um, so let me preface this by saying that there are many different methods, and ours is just one. I'm fascinated by the different ways people dumpster dive. A lot of people go out at night. They go on special trips to check the dumpsters, and it works for them. They enjoy this. They find a lot of cool stuff. People like dumpster diving at night with headlamps sometimes. Um, just all kinds of different things. These aren't... Um, like for Teresa and I... We don't dumpster dive at night. I, I don't dumpster dive at night. I just don't like it. Even with a headlamp, I don't feel like I'm seeing the food in enough light that I want to make a judgment call of whether mm. I want it. Especially now that we're living in a van, we have to be really picky about what we're bringing into our, our little home. Um, yeah, and let's see. Well, we'll talk about that later. But um, one of the first things that I dealt with when I started dumpster diving with shame. Um, I used to, when I first started doing it, like try to sneak to the dumpster, not let anybody see me. I was embarrassed. Um, but over the years, as I've gotten more into questioning our culture and looking at all the stuff behind dumpster diving and the stuff that gets in the way of dumpster diving, 
That shame has turned to pride. I'm very proud of my scavenging now. I feel like everybody else is kind of clueless. I'm the one that's kind of pulled the curtain back and seen things in a more realistic light. So consider that. You know, if you're dumpster diving, you're kind of embarrassed. If you're embarrassed to talk about it, if you're embarrassed to get caught looking in a dumpster, think about what it means to be a consumer. Just because there's so damn many of them and they've normalized it among themselves, the same could be said of Nazis, the same could be said of slave owners. Just because the majority is doing something doesn't make it right. So as an independent person, think about that. Think about why you're looking in a dumpster. Um, and Teresa talked a while back about um, legitimate concerns. I meant to add greed to that list. Um, you can... Go into dumpster diving with the same capitalist mindset that had you being a selfish consumer and be a selfish dumpster diver. Hmm. You can go in there with greed. You can hoard food. You can not be generous. You could just try to make money and try to jip people and sell them crap like every other corporation out there. So I would beware of that. Um, just, you know, if you're looking in those dumpsters because you want to lead a lighter life to help the world, to save some of this food that should not be wasted in the first place and boycott things that should not be fed, um, these corporations, then feel proud of that. Now, if you're just another greedy little rat finding another little hole to, like, you know, not help a damn person, maybe you should feel ashamed, just as, as shameful as those people that are still stuck going in the grocery stores and being consumers knowing damn well what they're feeding. Wow. All right. Thank you. Yeah, and we talked about, like, us making money off of stuff, but we don't do that regularly. It's kind of like when we can't Yeah, I'm not it. trying to villainize that yeah. altogether. I mean, there's a time and place, but I do know some people who just, you know, it's not about any ethics, you know. It's just about another form of greed. So it's not any one act that I'm saying, oh, that's bad. It's more the balance. And something else that Gumby was talking about, like, people going out at night to dumpster dive, there... I think they're also doing a different method of looking through the entire dumpster. So they're using a headlamp. They are slashing open garbage bags and looking to the very bottom of the dumpster. And we mostly just poke our heads into either the little door on the side of the dumpster that's often open. Sometimes it's locked. If it's locked, we climb up carefully and we... I will say more and more that I'm digging more often nowadays <laughs> because I am realizing how much can be found like underneath that top bag. Yeah, I mean, there are times for that, especially when it's like it, it's looking pretty fresh. Um, yeah, we, we'll climb up on the dumpster and open up the top of the dumpster, like the lid, um, if possible. Sometimes, I mean, I've seen dumpsters that they have looked really gross for weeks on end. I mean, vultures are circling, like, on top of the garbage. There are turkey vultures, and there's just, like, the dumpster. You open it up, and it's full of, you know, maggots and everything. I'm not looking through that. Mostly, like I said, we're getting the stuff right off the top that is either still cold or frozen, or it it just looks really good. Um... Of course, we're, we have tools of the trade. We have our hand sanitizer ready for when we get back in the car. Uh, often we'll try to find something, especially me because I'm short, find something to stand on if we need to climb up, uh, whether that's a milk crate or a turned over shopping cart. 
Um, it's really good idea. We walk barefoot a lot, but we also have shoes, whether they're just flip-flops or tennis shoes for dumpster diving, just because uh, there may be shards of glass or unseen staples from produce boxes or even nails in a dumpster. And we don't, we don't have health care, so we don't want to like slice up our feet or get some sort of funky bacterial infection. Uh, some people use a grabber or some sort of hook to get things that they can't reach. I typically just get Gumby to reach it for me. If I, if I don't feel like going into a dumpster, I really have to have something that looks good or I'm curious about to get in because there's just so much that's easy to get. Um, you can use anything around the dumpster if you find some sort of stick or mop handle um, to improvise. And like Gumby mentioned, you could also use a headlamp if it's getting late. Something that I've found for myself that's really helpful when I climb into a dumpster. I'm short. I If I'm by myself and I don't have somebody to hand the stuff to, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I bring with me a couple of the reusable grocery bags. And if I don't have that, then maybe like a, a plastic bag. But I'll climb into the dumpster with my empty bags and then I'll climb out with them full like I just went shopping. And sometimes that looks really funny, but whatever, I just got a bunch of free food. Yeah, and creating routines and routes. Um, I become aware of the dumpsters that I want to check. We'll talk about our favorite dumpsters in a minute. <laughs> but um, you start getting really friendly with an area. You realize what dumpsters hit what dumpsters like never have anything what dumpsters are worth checking because when they do hit you know for all those times they didn't it's a big one um i personally what works for me is i never go out of my way much for a dumpster i will design a route that maybe is a little more winding than the most direct route to where i'm going but i'm not going to go out like across town just to check a dumpster because for me just the way oscar works for me is I never get anything when I do that. When I go out of my way to check a dumpster, I feel like that force, that Oscar the Grouch, whatever you want to call it, um, defies my expectations. Like if I go in with expectations, I don't find anything. If I just create a routine, like every time I go out, I leave enough time to check dumpsters. I leave a little earlier to start implementing that regularly in my life. That's when I find I have luck. And if I don't find anything, I haven't really gone out of my way. I had to run an errand anyway, so I don't feel that disappointed. Um, so, yeah, that's just something that works for me. And I would also add, now before I forget it, is season makes a big difference. Mm. Like, in the winter, I'm going to get a lot more in there when things are cold. Things will last longer. In the summer, some days, just because it's so freaking hot, I don't even look. You know, unless I really have a need, like our food's starting to get scarce. Um, just because it's so nasty and things go bad so fast and there's flies buzzing around. But with that said, I will say that even on a really, really hot, sunny day, um, very often I will happen to hit a dumpster when I do check right when they threw it out. The yep. stuff's still cold. So I wouldn't be discouraged necessarily just because it's a hot day because they're apparently throwing stuff out all day long. I mean, I find stuff 3 o'clock in the afternoon that obviously just got thrown out. It's still really cold and good. Um, yeah. I'll say, um, two things that popped up. Don't go too far. Um, well, okay. First, what about when it rains, Gumby? How do you feel about that? I'm on the fence about that. I think it's kind of dangerous to crawl in a dumpster. Um, I wear flip flops. 
um, with slippery metal. But again, if the need is great enough or if the dumpster is unlocked, which like we talked about is becoming rarer, um, you know, and you can just open the door, yeah, I'll check. But if it's pouring rain and I'm kind of, you know, just not in the mood to get rain poured on me at that moment, or if I have to climb in the top, um, I usually skip it in the rain. And something, I don't know if Gumby, if he figured this out, maybe he didn't even realize he was figuring it out, but he mentioned like three o'clock in the afternoon. What I've seen when I go out dumpster diving, especially if I'm going out on my own, is later in the evening, you'll, you might hit on something, but you also might have just entered the time when the people that are cleaning the store are throwing out all the bags of garbage. So now you've got the food, but it's under a bunch of bags of garbage. And then you're going to have to commit to like getting a headlamp, maybe getting some gloves and like having sturdier shoes and, and getting in there and really moving stuff around. So I don't know if in different areas it's, you know, the the time is different for their routines, but that's another reason why getting to know your area and creating a route is a good thing because, uh, like, you know, Gumby said three o'clock, that seems to be a really good time of day where things have been thrown out. Maybe a little earlier in the day, you don't have a lot of stuff that's thrown out, but a little later in the day, it's going to be covered up by garbage bags. So yeah, so just keep that in mind. So now on to our favorite dumpsters. And we live in the southeastern part of uh, the United States. We have different uh, grocery store chains than a lot of the country. But um, I think our favorite dumpsters, our favorite grocery stores, should I go ahead and name these? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and like name them, even though we know we might be shooting ourselves in the foot. Because <laughs> like, a lot of people just, uh, they don't have the, the the common sense. And when you share a resource with people, more often than not, it's going to get trampled and you're going to lose it. So I guess go ahead. All right. So with all of that being said, just remember, we're, we're sharing something that's a resource to us. So um, Food Lion is a grocery store around where we live at. And they tend to throw out a bunch of stuff, Um, just everything. They throw out cheese, bread, meat, eggs, all sorts of, you know, dried goods and and non-perishables. Another store that I believe is now countrywide is Aldi. And we've noticed that some Aldis are getting the trash compactors or they're at the very least starting to lock their dumpsters or getting a little more of the signage that says, you know, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. But I find the Aldi dumpsters to not only be full of really awesome produce, they they pretty much have everything in packages, which sucks for the environment. But for a dumpster diver, now you've got all your produce already wrapped up in plastic. So you can either like rinse the plastic and open it up and take it out or whatever before you put it in your fridge or in your van if you're living out of a vehicle. Um, but they also, Aldi's also has dumpsters that are kind of smaller. They tend to be about my size. So if I do jump in, I don't have to worry about, am I going to be able to get out on my own, um, which can be a challenge for short people. And we also find that in general, the uh, the dollar stores, whether it's Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Dollar whatever, those stores tend to throw out stuff. And some of them have little grocery parts or frozen food sections. So you might hit on like a bunch of frozen bacon or 
milk or eggs um, is what we often find in those. And Gumby, do you have any other stores to add? Yeah, I would say Food Line and Aldi's. Definitely Aldi's is probably the number one favorite, followed closely by Food Line. Um, but I would also add any kind of pet store. Like we have a dog, oh, yeah. so I always check pet stores. Um, I've always found enough dog food to keep him fed. And um, flea and tick yeah, medicine. Yeah, we find flea and tick medicine. We find treats. You just never know what you're going to find in those. Any beer and wine stores? Oh, yeah. Um, I used to have so much beer, and I still find beer pretty consistently. So. You filled up my storage unit with beer the other day. Yeah. So. And that wasn't even That wasn't even it. a beer and wine store either. That was food line. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's amazing how much beer gets thrown out. And, again, who knows why. Um, and another one is any kind of big discount store like Ollie's. Um, we have an Ollie's around here. Burlington Coat Factory. Yeah. And you find, you never know what you're going to find in these places. Um, really, th- those are very fun dumpsters to, to look into. It could be anything from expensive perfume to a watch, which I still have. I got six months ago and it found a watch behind a Burlington Coat Factory, I believe. All it wasn't sorts- working and I thumped it and it started working and it's been going for six months now. All sorts of um, brand new jewelry, clothes. Um, sometimes you can find shoes unless uh, an employee has slashed them. You can find um, in the like Ollie's dumpster, which is kind of like a hodgepodge store of things that are maybe going out from other businesses, and then Ollie Ollie's buys it up. Um, you'll find all sorts of coffee makers, even drones. We've found in there, like the remote control drones. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe there's something wrong with them that you could fix quite easily. Like, I mean, some of the things are completely fine. We found, what were those blankets? Like the heated... Mm -hmm, Electric blankets. Electric blankets. And they were in there. um, Fans, box fans, all sorts of different electronic stuff that people bring back. And the employee that receives it at the return desk, just slaps a reason on it, and it just goes in the dumpster. And I would say if you have the time, check any dumpster, because not only do you find what the business might be throwing out, and on any given day they might have some reason to throw out a lot, but you also find there's a lot of people who are throwing their personal trash, especially when they're Mm. moving. Yeah. Um, They might not have a sticker to go to the dump. Why the hell are they regulating trash so much and making it hard for people to get it where they say (laughs) they want it to be? Um, just part of the stupidity that's happening in our culture right now. People are feeling forced to, like, illegally throw their trash in some random dumpster. So very frequently we find stuff in a dumpster that obviously didn't come from the store, and sometimes it's pretty good stuff. Um, and one big thing to keep an eye out for is power outages. When there's been a hurricane or an ice storm, that is a great time to start looking at what's happening behind the grocery stores. Because it's their policy. I'm not sure exactly how long, like if the power's out for a half hour or what, what their policy exactly is. But they throw out stuff. If the freezer's down, comes back on, they still throw out stuff. And I'm talking about they bring in a dumpster the size of a tractor trailer on the back of an mm-hmm. 18-wheeler in addition to their dumpster that's already there. And I've watched employees, like in an assembly line, constantly throwing out stuff for hours. Um, You can get as much food as you would want for a year if you could freeze it. (laughs) But the the, kind of the downside, the tricky part of this is because it is such a busy time, it can be hard to get in there. Um, You got to time it just right. You might have to wait for a while. 
um, and somebody might catch you. And usually you don't have to give the stuff back, but you probably have to go. Um, <laughs> we'll talk more about like the, the etiquette of getting caught, but it's generally something you want to avoid. Um, and Teresa, if you want to talk a little bit about technique. Oh, never mind. That's me. <laughs> so technique for entering the dumpsters. I don't have a lot to say about this. Maybe we'll do a video sometime. It's kind of hard to describe. But <laughs> obviously, if the door is unlocked, open the door, peek in there. You will you might be surprised at how often it seems to be at a level that you can reach, especially mm -hmm. if you have some of those tools Teresa mentioned, like a grabber stick or any kind of stick with like a little hook on it. Um, we talk about carrying that, but we have not actually, like, evolved the practice to start carrying this thing so we generally improvise right now even though it'd be a great idea to have one we'll find like a stick or a board or something that can help us um if there's a lock on the door um all is not lost because often you can lift up the plastic lid there's a bar up there with these like rubber plastic flaps on the top mm -hmm. And even when the bar is locked to try to keep them down, you can bend these things. They're plastic and pop them right up and crawl into the top of the dumpster. Um, you got to be careful. Um, if you're like in really poor physical shape, this might not be the dumpster for you. But I find that I can lower myself down pretty easily. There's a little lip inside the dumpster that I can prop my feet on. There's also where the door is kind of a lip there that I can step on even with my flip-flop. And it's enough of a lip that I'm securely balanced to look inside and reach stuff in a very full dumpster. Um, yeah, and I would just say those are some techniques. Uh, I only dive when I need to, um, which I'd say, I don't know, maybe maybe 50% of the time. Who knows? But often you can just reach in and grab stuff. And when I say dive, I mean step in. Um, another technique is if a dumpster is kind of messy but there's good stuff you really want, I'll look for a cardboard box or something in there that I can flatten and put down in there that I can stand on the cardboard box. Mm -hmm. um, it's always great when you can rinse off afterwards. Like often I get something like yogurt on me or something when there's a whole lot of food. So if there's a puddle nearby or we call them hobo showers when the it's been raining and the water's coming from a gutter at the back of a grocery store, those are great. They're like foot washing stations for the dumpster diver. And you can wash your food there if there's enough water flowing. Yep. And yeah, immediately rinse off. Um, and like I said, rain, ice, I'm, I'm going to be discouraged from crawling on slippery metal because, you know, no matter what food's in there, unless I'm starving to death, <laughs> um, busting your head on a dumpster. And I have, um, my ex-girlfriend was dumpster diving with me and she came off a dumpster and forgot where her car was parked. The door was open behind her and uh, oh, that jabbed her pretty well. Oh, so that was kind oh. of an injury. So, yeah, it can be dangerous, but you just got to, like, take your time at the same time you're being as quick as you can. It's a balance. <laughs> and be really careful. But it's not so dangerous that I would discourage anybody from doing it. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I'm, a, I'm like, five foot three, so getting into one of the, the regular-sized dumpsters, not the little squat ones, is kind of a challenge for me, um, which is why I tend to just, if the door is unlocked on the side, I just open it up and see what I can get. But I will occasionally climb in, and especially if it's about half full, um, much less than half full, it's got to be something really good in that dumpster for me to climb in because I'm going to have to reach up to the top of the dumpster 
and shuffle my feet up the side until I can get to that lip that Gumby was talking about. And having two people is a huge uh, plus that you right. can hand it to somebody. Yeah, and if, I've, if I'm by myself and I've got my bags of food, I have to remember I have to get out of this dumpster myself. So really keep these things in mind. Um, <laughs> and I guess that maybe segues into getting caught, uh, which I know Gumby will also want to talk about this, but I... I feel like getting caught, you really have to be okay with like being a little embarrassed because for me, I'm not like, I don't know, I'm not well-versed and enough to like have this story that I can say in front of somebody. So my way, if I get caught is like, sorry, and I walk away and I, you know, get in my vehicle. But, um, a couple times Gumby, we've been confronted by employees um, whether it's somebody from that store or somebody from a different store. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that or your experiences. Well, I mean, I guess the bottom line for getting caught is be polite and leave. Um, that's just the most sensible course of action. Because if you're rude and you confront people a lot, I mean, how easy it is them for to start putting a lock on the dumpster and maybe somewhere down the road uh, getting a compactor. So you don't want to lose a resource. It's easier just to try not to get caught. So if we're about to dumpster dive and the door is open, um, we just skip it. Mm -hmm. If um, we do get caught and somebody asks us to leave as politely as we can, as neighborly as we can, we just say, oh, okay, um, you know, and just leave. A good story if somebody catches you is that you're moving and you're looking for moving boxes if you <laughs> don't have already like an armful of bread and cheese um <laughs> that can be a really good reason why you're looking in a dumpster you're moving you need cardboard boxes and that can really be a good legitimate reason to be there um it gets a little harder when your car is full of dumpster food and your arms are full of dumpster food to convince people that you're just moving out out of the way to look for boxes but again like i've said in other podcasts it's better to have a story than no story at all. Anything that keeps you from, like, getting confronted and going, um, uh, uh, buh. So know what you're going to say. Um, gosh, let's see. All right, so, yeah, we were talking about jobs worths in our one of our previous podcasts, people that just take their job so seriously um, that they lose all sight of anything, any justice, any humanity. They just do their job. They have become that piece of the machine. That's all that's left of them. And we've run into these people that uh, there's this one woman working at an ABC store next to a food line. And I walked over to the dumpster and she said, sir, um, they have asked me to help them watch this dumpster. And um, they have cameras here, so you can't pull stuff out of the dumpster. So, you know, she's it's not even the her store's dumpster. So I just kind of wave at her and say, well, thank you for letting me know. And then I continue to walk to the dumpster and start sorting through stuff. And she comes out, and she's so, um, what would I say, like, Animated? offended. She said, sir, <laughs> there are cameras here. Like, you can't do that. And I have a loaf of bread, and I say, well, I'm sorry. Did you have a use for this? Because I can use it. And she kind of huffs and puffs and walks back in. And I, you know, don't take a whole lot of time at that point, but grab a few more things and leave. Um, which isn't the wisest course of action. You don't want to make waves, but sometimes I've just had enough. I've had enough, I've had enough of bowing down to the crazy people. Um, and I talked about what these people will say when I confront them. One time I was in a dumpster 
behind a food line. <laughs> and then, like, some of the employees came out. <laughs> and they started throwing stuff in the dumpster, and I was already in there. So apparently I startled somebody, and they went in and complained to the manager. And the manager came out, and he was really authoritative and saying he would have to call the police and everything. And, you know, I'm getting out, and he just pissed me off. He was so confrontational. So I got kind of confrontational back with him, and, you know, I called into the open door like, I'm sorry if I startled you, employees. I was only getting the stuff that you were throwing away. <laughs> um, it's just ridiculous. And he also told us that we could get sick from eating the food that we got out of there. Yeah, so that old story again, you know, like, we haven't been doing this for years, and, you know, he's he has an opinion based on ignorance that he's perfectly happy to uphold and we have an uh, opinion based on experience that he doesn't want to listen to it doesn't feed into what he's trying to do there um been caught by the cops before and generally that doesn't go i've heard horror stories from other dumpster divers like places maybe are clamping down but i wouldn't put too much credence into that who knows where those stories are getting circulated from and for what reason but my own experience is if i'm polite um, they ask me to leave. I'll even introduce myself sometimes and I'll just say what I'm doing. You know, like most rational human beings can't really see a good reason for you not to be taking stuff nobody else wants. Um, so about the worst I've gotten from cops is, uh, well, this is private property. You, you're going to have to leave and they've let me keep what I have and I leave and that's that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say it all goes back to politeness, like, especially with a cop. I mean, this is already a guy that's kind of got a big ego and he's used to, like, uh, confronting people that are confrontational and knowing he has to win, you know, to do his job. So don't confront a cop. I mean, that's not a battle worth picking, no matter how unjust the situation is. Remember, it's a resource. The main thing you want is to have this resource here rather than win an argument. Most people have already decided what side of an argument they're going to be on, and it doesn't have anything to do with logic or rationality. So even if you win the argument, you haven't changed their minds. Um, and I would say one of my main rules dumpster diving, and this I started saying this, actually I got this from uh, David Aurora, who wrote Mushrooms Demystified, and he's talking about edible mushrooms, and he says, when in doubt, throw it out. Hmm. I have found that to be very true with dumpster diving too. Like sometimes we find something and it's like, ah, is this still good? And we don't want to waste it. You know, we want to honor this food. But my bottom line is if you ask if it's still good, that was a doubt. Throw it out. Um, it's not worth getting sick. It's not worth risking things. And again, I don't think dumpster dive food, in my experience, is like really inordinately dangerous. But why take the risk? It's already mm -hmm. on its way to the trash. And if you can save some of it, you're doing a good thing, especially if it's helping you not feed into the system, not pour more money into corporations who are killing your children and killing the earth. So feel good about that. And if some of it has to continue on to the trash, so be it. You've done something. But nothing gets served by you taking a risk just for one little meal, one bite of food, your favorite little thing, and you possibly getting sick. You've actually hurt the, the practice of dumpster diving because now people can say, oh, I know somebody who got sick from dumpster <laughs> diving. Um, and people are so ready for that. They are poised to like condemn this practice. So don't give them fodder. Um, yeah, that was, were you done with that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll add that that's probably still something that's difficult for me because, um, since I've been experimenting with cooking, 
it breaks my heart when I find an ingredient and I'm like, oh man, it's like a little bit bloated of a package or maybe the, like the pot, the top is popped up on a, a jar or something and it's no bueno, gotta let it go. But we also think about, you know, honoring the, the plants or the, the animals that went into that by composting it. And whether that means having an actual compost pile of your own, uh, if you live in a house still or whatever, or if you're mobile and you're just tossing it in the tree line, um, that food isn't going to be stuck in a plastic or glass or whatever container. It can go back into the soil and feed organisms um, and just keep doing what it's supposed to do instead of just going to the landfill and being stuck there. Um, also with the packaging, you know, we are trying to recycle as much as we can. And I know, I know recycling doesn't always work. Um, we've also talked about that, but at least we're doing our part to keep a little bit more of the packaging out of the landfill. Okay. So on to processing and eating the food. Um, number one, even if it looks good, like the dumpster, you get really comfortable and you're like, ah, it was right on top and it's in a package. Go ahead and rinse it because you don't know if maybe some flies or whatever were on it and whatever they've touched. So go ahead and rinse everything you get out of the dumpster. And, you know, we used to set it on our counter or you could set it outside somewhere, um, to just let it dry off. Um, let's see what else. Oh, cooking the food. So let's say you have some um, cinnamon buns. Gumby's mom actually just made us cinnamon rolls this morning. And I commented on how great they were because she didn't have to cook them like to the full time because she didn't get them out of the dumpster. But I would say if you get even um, biscuits or something like that, go ahead and cook it to the full extent of what the cooking directions tell you to, just in case. And that's just a precaution. Um, meat as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't cook steaks rare or hamburger meat, like, you know, with the blood still in it, go ahead and cook it at like the extent to which you can still eat it. And it's not burned what I'm saying, I guess, medium well, maybe. Yeah. Most of the stuff that can, that would hurt you in dumpster food, if it's present is bacterial. So high heat will kill most, if not all of it. Um, as long as you're taking other precautions. Yeah, and something else that I found, uh, you'll get a like a huge boon of something. Let's say, for example, Roma tomatoes. One time I had, I don't know, like 64 Roma tomatoes. And what in God's name am I going to do with all of these? And as I'm thinking, they're getting older, you know, so I got to think fast. So I happened to have a Vitamix, which is a really, really fancy blender. But if you happen to have some tools of the trade, for example, a food processor or a strong blender or, um, gosh, what else was I thinking? Oh, I have a, a citrus press that's kind of a, a electric one, so it's easier. You'll run into bags upon bags of things like grapefruits, lemons, limes, or you'll run into a whole ton of apples. And what are you going to do with that? Maybe you can process it and make like applesauce or you can make citrus juice or you could make tomato, um, tomato sauce for spaghetti. So if you happen to have those appliances, I had them sitting around for years. I even tried to sell them because I'm like never using them. But once I started dumpster diving, I realized, wow, this is actually really helpful to have. So I'm not saying to go buy stuff, but if you happen to have it, dust it off and 
If you start dumpster diving, you'll be surprised how soon you start to use those things. Gumby, did you want to add anything else about processing or cooking or anything? I think you got the most of it. You mentioned rinsing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, rinsing, high heat. Um, Packages, you know, like anything you can take out of a package, like... Uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense to rinse things off depending on the packaging. It's just easier to take the plastic bag that's in the cardboard box out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the most common items we found in a dumpster. We find in a dumpster. We find cheese consistently. Cheese gets thrown away all the time. I happen to be a turophile, and I learned that word many years ago, which means someone who loves cheese. <laughs> so, goody for me. Um, that was kind of my first like temple of food I started accumulating when I was dumpster diving. It's just the cheese drawer. It was always overflowing. Um, apples. I find apples a lot, and I've learned all kinds of things to do with apples. Um, that they can they, they go in dishes that I would not have thought of. Um, potatoes. You find potatoes a whole lot, and. Depending on the season, sometimes bread is everywhere, but other times you don't see it much. Um, I find beer pretty consistently, surprisingly, and this is something that surprises a lot of people who already dumpster dive. They're not finding it. They're like, wow, you find beer? But yeah, I run into that all the time. I used to have what I called my temple of beer at our trailer. Um, (laughs) There was too much beer to keep in the fridge, so I started keeping it underneath the dining room table, and uh, we were trying not to use the AC, so some of this beer, I, I discovered the hard way that cans of beer will explode. Um, <laughs> so that never... is a food that would explode after its expiration date. Yeah, it actually does. So I'll never forget <laughs> one day I was like kind of going through my beer and it was one of my favorite ones. It was this, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a porter. It was really high alcohol content. Um, and that thing just blew up in my face. Like, oh my I mean, it was all over the ceiling. My face just boom. Oh. So yeah, those cans of beer, you gotta, gotta watch those. Um, but you find a lot of those. And yeah, I'd say off the top of my head, those are the main things I can think of that I find all the time. I mean, you can find anything you find in the grocery store in the dumpster, but certain things seem to present themselves very often. Apples and oranges. I know you said apples. Oranges, yeah. yeah. We kind of get sick of eating apples and oranges, <laughs> but we, we also find things to make that are kind of unique, with, especially with apples yogurt but i don't eat yogurt but especially the stuff that's like not the plain yogurt but like flavored which we really don't like because i feed the just plain straight up yogurt to my dog cottage cheese find that all the time yeah i guess that goes under the category of cheese but yeah i'd say those are some of the main things that pop up for me oh and when the uh the frito-lay truck is there shortly after that if not already if you pull up and you're careful you don't want to be doing this when people are going in and out of the back door of the store but you're probably going to find at least a few bags and if you're picky the uh the bags that still have some air left in them you'll find like tortilla chips or doritos whatever and of course you know making good choices for your health but hey sometimes some doritos are pretty tasty good munchy food Yeah, what I try to do is if I see something that's not healthy for me, but I really like it, I try to grab just like one, unless I'm planning on moving it immediately, like putting it in a box at a park. Mm -hmm. But stuff that's healthy, I'll often try to stockpile, like especially the stuff that's going to go bad because I'll eat as much of it as I can. Living in a van, we don't have a refrigerator. (laughs) Um, And then just, you know, we move the other stuff. I guess you talked about with the uh, processing, the composting. Yes. So yeah, you know, if it's like produce we grab as much as we can and we try to use it as much as we can because this is the healthy stuff and if it goes bad 
Um, especially living in a van, we want to catch that as soon as possible, and then we just throw it in the woods. And it's a lot better off in the woods. It's doing more good for the earth than it is sitting in that damn dumpster. Mm-hmm. And something to keep in mind when you're you know, starting to dumpster dive is you're going to start to get an influx of ingredients that maybe you couldn't even afford to buy in the store. Um, I haven't cooked my whole life. This is something that's fairly new to me, but Gumby kind of encouraged me like, hey, if you ever wanted to try cooking, now's the time because all of these ingredients we're getting are free. So I started looking up recipes when I was still working and I had the internet all day. I was like, ah, what the hell? I'll just look up and see what I can do with this because we have a lot of this at the house. And I would often find recipes that maybe included ingredients that we didn't have. So for example, you don't really find a lot of good, still fresh cilantro in the dumpster. And if you've ever had cilantro go bad that you've bought, you understand like why you wouldn't want to get it out of the dumpster if it's bad. It's nasty. But I've started to find ways of doing more of what Gumby calls zen cooking. I'm not sure where he got that term, but... I believe the term comes from Bernie Glassman. Uh, Mm. He writes a lot of cool stuff. He's also where I got the houseless retreat. He calls them street retreats from. And uh, the basically the idea of Zen cooking is it's a philosophy that can be applied to cooking, but also applies to life. And it's having faith that in every moment, all the ingredients you need for whatever is coming up are there. (laughs) Your job is to be open enough and present enough to recognize that. So it's a really cool way to try to live, to remind yourself, like, everything I need is here. It's right here with me. I just need to see it. And it's a cool way to cook. Yeah. So just as an example, the other day uh, I was thinking, what could I make? We were still at our summer camp place um, where we're teaching summer camps. This was the last week. And I had access to a kitchen. I had access to a stovetop, refrigeration. And I also had access to some food that people had evidently forgotten about uh, from during the school year. So it had been sitting there for weeks upon weeks. And I saw this bag of organic carrots, like the whole carrots. They were starting to sprout out all over the place in the bag. Um, I also had cans of coconut milk. I had some canned veggies like peas and corn, and we had also gotten some sweet potatoes and a red potato from a food pantry. Um, let's see, what could I make with that? I'm starting to feel like a, like a coconut curry type dish, and I happen to have access to at least some spices, and I, I wasn't quite sure what to put in it, so I used the spices that I had, and then I found this pumpkin pie spice, and you're thinking, uh what? Like that, it doesn't go in a coconut curry. But I looked at the ingredients and it was like ginger and cardamom and why not? And we had some rice from the food pantry. And how did that taste? It was delicious. Yeah. So I just like processed those carrots up, made them look nice. The kids were sitting there while I did it. I was kind of peeling the the outside of them off because they were kind of getting hairy with roots and the top was growing. I cut that off. I cut it into strips. And sure enough, I said, these are good. I took a bite. The kids were like, I want some. And they started eating carrots. And those carrots would have been thrown out, I imagine, even by myself if I hadn't started dumpster diving and started cooking also. Um, Something else that I learned about with dumpster diving is you need to be creative with what you find. So, for example, let's say sometimes 
you don't feel like making a big production of a meal and you come across these microwave or frozen dinners. They're not the healthiest, I understand. But just because you don't have a microwave, maybe if you're you only have a toaster oven or if you're living out of a vehicle and you don't have a microwave, you can still use that. Just plop it out in a pan, fire up your hobo stove or campfire or grill, whatever uh, resource you have. And most of the time, I'd say if not all of the time, you can still enjoy that microwaved meal. Um, something else that I thought was really funny was K-Cups. We've never owned a Keurig machine, but we sure do own a knife. And we just cut the tops off or peel the tops off of the K-Cups, dump the contents out, and we can make ourselves coffee. And this also works in a bank if you're short of coffee when they have this <laughs> other kind of... Uh containers but pretty much anything oh, the, that like you could make coffee out of that it comes in a little package or pouch yeah it has coffee grounds in it that's what's in there it's not some weird thing you need the machine for so there's your <laughs> coffee yeah we did that with green tea when we were trying to make a kombucha drink and we didn't have any so we just went to the bank and we we took a few packets of their green tea <laughs> so we're coming to the end of this very long podcast we knew this would be a long one because uh oh that was your your cue we knew this would be a long one Oh, that's what she said. Oh. Well, Teresa, you <laughs> dirty person. So, um, yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit about summer camp. For years, I've been telling the kids, like, I bring in dumpster dive food. And then Teresa, like, last summer started making more elaborate lunches. So I had these delicious dumpster wraps and stuff. And I felt like that was something very important to share with the kids. Um, because it's the truth. You know, like... I've actually run into problems with that, where places I work say, could you please, like, not talk about dumpster diving with the kids? What the hell? Like, <laughs> I mean, they're afraid of the truth? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I'm, this is stuff that, in fact, came from the dumpster, is good food, is delicious, and I haven't died from it yet. Um, yes. So, yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to kill us, so I, I'm not going to pretend like dumpster diving food has some kind of sacred bubble of protection around it. It's food. Um, so yeah, sharing that with the kids and we definitely pushed it this summer. Um, we just got done with our last summer camp and I know I'm kind of feeling that bittersweet feeling of having the job done, but already missing the kids. But we tried to, well, actually one camp, um, we just brought in dumpster food and rinsed it off in the sink since it was a good place to rinse it off and just had it there to dry off. It wasn't supposed to be part of camp. <laughs> but some yeah. of the girls noticed it and, you know, we're talking about, yeah, this is what we got out of the dumpster. And they're like, can we use it? Can we make juice? And they started making juice out of the oranges and limes and lemons. And then they took some of the potatoes and made some really delicious mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I'm really proud that we have been helping kids realize is... Uh, that dumpster food is good food. It, it, there's perfectly good food that's getting thrown away for no reason. And I love introducing kids to this idea and watching the shock on their face and then going to another camp with some repeat campers where, like, a kid that's never heard this before says, "Oh, you got that out of the dumpster? And then seeing the kids, like, defend it, you know, like, <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. Like, yeah. we've seen what they cook. Like, this is good food. So... I'm glad that I get the opportunity to change some minds, some young minds, um, as far as this goes. And they love it. You know, we've brought in dumpster food and shared it with them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just seeing us eat it. It's like, wow, this is good. There's nothing wrong with this, like Teresa mentioned with the carrots. Um, is there anything you want to add about camp? I'm tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> I really miss those girls already. 
Yeah, and they, like, it was just, it really is one of the, the best joys that I have when I can share all the stuff we're learning with kids because um, as I tell the kids, the adults probably aren't getting you out of this mess. If they had their chance and if they were going to, like, figure out a way out of the stuff we're doing to the world, it would be happening by now. Things are getting worse. So you guys have to learn this stuff. And uh, we found that the kids seem to be so thankful to be included in a discussion on their own future. And I feel good about what I'm sharing because it's the truth. Yeah. I am, in fact, pulling stuff out of the, the trash that is perfectly good food. And my God, if anybody needs to see that, it's these kids that are being sheltered from the truth. They're only hearing one side of the message. People are going, people are going hungry. That's what they hear. So it's so easy for them to understand that, oh, these big corporations that are making fertilizers and, and pesticides and everything so that we can grow more food for the planet. Now they're seeing the other side of the story that nobody really wants to talk about, and that is there is so much food being wasted. We could feed everyone in this world. There is no need to put chemicals on our food. There is so much food that's being wasted. And, like... Oh, I'm starting to cry. <laughs> like to see the kids so excited about dumpster food. <laughs> All right, I gotta stop because I'm gonna just be like bawling in a second. All right, <clears throat> so think of the children. Oh, no, not the children. Um, so we watched this documentary recently, and by the way, I've updated our website with a number of links to documentaries. I'm not sure if I added this one. It wasn't... And some of them are really good. Yeah, some of them are really good. This one wasn't our absolute favorite because we felt like they were kind of missing some of the point. However, uh, it's called Dive. It's just simply called Dive, like dumpster dive. So Dive, it's a documentary. I think the guy's name was something like Jeremy Seifert or something like that. He lives out in, I think, Los Angeles or something. One of the, like the first part of the documentary, they talked about three rules for dumpster diving. Rule number one, leave it cleaner than when you found it. So in other words, if you move a milk crate or a, a shopping cart or you use a board or Whatever, you see some like nails laying on the ground, clean it up. I know you didn't put it there, or maybe you did, but either way, don't leave it looking like you just took stuff from the dumpster because it's going to mess it up for everybody that's using that resource. Uh, rule number two that they mentioned was whoever gets there first, whoever sees it, gets first dibs. Dibs on the dumpster. You can't yell like I've had a guy in the ghetto yell at me <laughs> that, hey, leave that alone. That's mine. It's like, you're not here. Um, obviously you want to be, you know, careful and conscious of your surroundings, but I mean, I'm already in the dumpster. He didn't watch the documentary. So first one's got dibs. Don't get in, into, into any knife fights though in the ghetto. Uh, rule number three, no hoarding. And we've talked about that throughout this podcast. I mean, it's one thing if you're like really excited about Roma tomatoes and you get 64 of them and you get home and you're like, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, fire up your Facebook account. See if anybody will come over and get them from you or take them somewhere that you know might benefit from them or just leave them in the dumpster for somebody else or compost them. But don't just take everything in the dumpster because maybe there's some other people that are using that as a similar resource. And Gumby, did you want to talk about the, the problems with the documentary? Yeah, I want to talk about, uh, you know, we like this documentary. We think it's worth watching, and anybody that's dumpster diving I think will find interest in it. And he did something I wanted to do, which is confront the grocery stores. Like, he started writing letters, 
And apparently nobody would talk to him, even off camera, about why they're throwing away this food instead of getting it to hungry people. They just would not address the problem. He followed the chain all the way up to the top. Nobody would talk to him. Um, and then finally somebody did, like I think it was Trader Joe's he was really targeting. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we do give food to the food pantries. And he actually, like through his efforts, got some of the businesses to give more food to the food pantries. Um, but then, you know, he, he kept up with what was happening and it would start dropping off and then he'd find perfectly good food in the dumpster again. Mm-hmm. Now, I love that this guy explored this because I've been curious what would happen myself if I went in a uh, grocery store and asked. Um, but at the same time, it sounds like he thought the solution was that all this food needs to go to food pantries. Um, and as somebody who both dumpster dives and goes to food pantries... I don't think regulation is what's needed. I think people just need to lay the hell off the dumpsters. Quit guarding your trash. Um, There's no reason to guard your trash. Let the scavengers scavenge. That is a proud way to live, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's an ecological niche that desperately needs to be filled in our culture, Um, a culture that produces this amount of waste. I mean, it's just ecological. You need scavengers. Damn right. And vulture life yeah and just like the vulture you know there are certain people who are very ambitious they maybe they're the predators of the world i don't know but there are certain people who just want to enjoy and take it easy and like if there's a surplus like you know eat the surplus and i feel like that's kind of the scavenger mindset and i definitely fall into that like give me a hammock and a good book next to the river and just let me go check a dumpster (laughs) it's not hurting anybody it's actually helping people if they would get their heads on straight so i wasn't in agreement with his solution, like push the companies into giving more food to the food pantries. We've actually found food pantries that have too much food that are wanting more people to come and take it because it's going bad. I've walked into one food pantry. I'll never forget that there was produce in there and flies flying around and everything. And it was rotting. It was rotting right there because people wouldn't pick it up. (laughs) So this is a very imperfect solution. And I feel like maybe he missed that part because maybe he's not going to the food pantries. Um, I don't know how actually poor this guy is. Um, Living in L.A. Yeah, maybe poor by L.A. standards. I don't know. <laughs> and to be fair, I've never lived in L.A., so maybe L.A. standard poor actually is poor. So I don't want to hate on anybody that might be poor in L.A. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely not a big fan of this regulation. I don't think that's the answer. Just let the scavenger scavenge. Oh, can I add something uh-huh. about... Um, I have a friend here in Durham who for years upon years has asked Whole Foods if she could have the stuff that the food that they're going to throw out food, especially, I think occasionally she gets other products like maybe, um, seventh generation laundry detergent or something like that. So there is, bless you, bless you, there, there is, uh, definitely that possibility you can walk into the grocery store and ask, but don't be surprised if what you end up with are bread products, because also in that documentary, there was a definite bias of the grocery store toward their own uh, legal uh, whatever protection. So they were really only interested in giving food away that would more than likely not get anyone sick, which meant bread. But any produce or meat or even cheese, every, all of that was off the table. That's kind of a questionable one in today's world with the gluten and everything. Well, yeah. So, I mean, like Gumby was saying, deregulate it. Let the vultures and the raccoons do their thing because, 
I think, until we stop this madness in our culture. There's there's no reason to not have scavengers. Mm-hmm. And when you put it in the food pantries, yeah, the poor get it, but uh, there's a lot that is involved in that mindset. There's a lot of shame. Um, listen to our podcast. Uh, what was it? Oh, what was that one we were talking about that? Drain on Society. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a whole strategy our culture uses in the way it takes care of its poor. So I don't want to get into that because that's a whole podcast in itself. But um, One other thing about the food pantries, real quick. Most food pantries operate on a once-a-week schedule. Some of them are open every day. And some of them are only once a season or once a month. So if you think about that food, especially produce, is already old once it leaves the store. And then someone has to come pick it up and take it to the food pantries. Often it's a church. And then at some point they're going to organize it in their food pantry. And then some point during the week or the month people are going to come get it. That food has gotten really old. So if you just throw it in the dumpster and people can get it that day, it's a lot fresher than going to the food pantry. Thank you, mic drop. <laughs> yeah, and on our way out of this podcast, I just want to make one plug, one last plug. Uh, I think his name is John Hoffman, and oh, he's got a book about dumpster diving. It might be called Dumpster Diving, but if you look up John Hoffman Dumpster Diving, I think it'll lead you to this book, and he's got two. They're not my favorite books because they're kind of leaning towards like making money Mm -hmm. but if you're dumpster diving um they kind of round out a little bit more broaden your what you've been exposed to of what dumpster divers dumpster diving can do um so yeah take a look at those books you'll probably find it interesting if this if this is something that interests you so now we are coming to the close of our longest podcast ever (laughs) um and we will try to get these down shorter we kind of figured this would be a long one that's what she said Mm. and because there is so much to be said about dumpster diving. But if you have any questions, please contact us. If you have any comments, um, even if they're very critical, we would love to hear another point of view. That's how we get wiser. It's like having different points of view. So sometimes we get tired of just hearing each other talk because we've already kind of ironed out a lot of what we agree on and everything, so we tend to talk about the things we agree on. Mm-hmm. Um, and stories. I'd love to hear some of your own stories. And I know there's a lot of dumpster divers out there. Oh, something I didn't talk about much was the Facebook websites. There's a lot of dumpster diving groups, and I think this might be actually hurting dumpster diving. Um, it's interesting hearing people's stories, picking up a few tips, but I think this resource, this time of benefiting from dumpster diving is going to be greatly shortened because it's getting so popular. Mm-hmm. It challenge- There's more and more people doing it, which challenges the corporations, and they are more powerful than we are. They will win this fight. They will secure their trash. They will hire guards. So don't be so quick to try to like share your stories with people who aren't already doing it. Don't be so quick to try to get other people to do it. Um, this is going to dry up. This well is not bottomless. And then not only do we lose a resource, those of us who are escaping society, but we also have hurt the earth more because more of this is going right into the landfills that are already getting stuffed so full. And we may be forced into getting back into consumer culture in some to some measure. So guard this resource. Take care of it while we have it. Um, please check out our website if any of this interests you at escaping society, lowercase one word, dot Weebly, as in Bubba. Yeah, that's got a lot of bees in it. I'll just stick with that. <laughs> Weeblyb.com. Oh and you can find us on Facebook at 
escaping society. That's how they'd find us, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So we also have a Facebook page. And uh, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Bye.